0: good morning everyone y'all come on in let's grab some coffee and let's stand and worship together rise and fall the kingdoms once strong now shaken we trust forever in your name the name of Jesus we trust the name of Jesus
1: you are the only king forever
2: church. My name is Dan. I'm the student pastor here, and it is a joy to welcome you here this morning as we make it our goal, our heartbeat here at Hope Point, to applaud God, to follow Christ, and to live on mission right here in Spartanburg. If you are new and you are new to Hope Point, this is your first time, we'd just like to welcome you with a free gift. Uh, You can pick that up right outside after the service at our guest connection tent. And while you're there, uh, you can fill out what we call a guest connection card. This is just our way to get to know you a little bit better and to follow up with you later in the week. Now, whether you are a longtime member here at Hope Point or this is your first or second Sunday, you're just checking things out, it's always our encouragement for you to take your next best step, whatever that may look like. So if you have questions about how to jump into a small group or how to volunteer in a ministry, um, I'd encourage you to go to the back of the gym and talk to one of our Next Steps volunteers. They would love to walk you through any questions you may have. Last thing is, this is just a special memo to parents. So parents, if you have students in the um, youth ministry, tonight at 5.30, we're having our fall parent meeting. So um, I encourage you to come check it out. No meeting is good without great food. So our one and only Carrie Bell has put together a great meal for us tonight. So parents, if you have nothing better to do, come out and hang with us tonight at 5.30. Here's some more announcements. Don't want you to miss.
3: The home has played an important part in the history of the church. Homes are a place of life-changing community for the early believers. In the fast-paced, hyper-scheduled culture we live in, gathering in people's homes for a meal has become rare. But we believe we can recapture the fellowship the early church enjoyed by offering home gatherings that provide the context where people can get to know one another and enjoy fellowship through a shared meal. Meals are more than just nourishment. Meals bring people together. When we share experiences around a meal, we see strangers as neighbors and neighbors as family. We invite you to join us for one of our Hope Point home gatherings in October. These gatherings are open to all college, single, and married adults. You can sign up and find more information on the events page at hopepoint.org. Make plans to join us for a Hopepoint picnic at Cleveland Park on Wednesday, October 24th from 5.30 to 7.30 p.m. We'll meet at the barn inside the playground area. Bring a blanket, chairs, and your favorite drive-thru or homemade meal. For directions and parking, visit the events page at hopepoint.org. If you're new to Hopepoint or you've been around for a while and you believe God is leading you to become a covenant member here, we invite you to join us for our next starting point event. Starting Point will be after church Sunday, October 14th. Lunch and child care will be provided. We'll also be offering Starting Point for Kids at the same time. Starting Point for Kids helps parents and kids learn what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and is designed to help kids begin their spiritual journey. To sign up for Starting Point or Starting Point for Kids, stop by the Next Steps area in the back of the gym or go to the events page at hopepoint.org. Hope Point Kids will be having a Fall Family Day on Saturday, October 13th at Strawberry Hill. Join us for a fun day with a wagon ride, farm animals, a pumpkin patch, and lots more family fun. There is a maximum cost of $25 per family. To register for this family fun event, go to the events page at hopepoint.org. There are many ways to connect at Hopepoint, and we invite you to visit the Next Steps area in the back of the gym. There you can find information about small groups, serving, missions, or just about anything here at Hopepoint. If you'd like to give a financial gift, offering boxes are located on both sides of the doors as you exit the gym. You can also give online at hopepoint.org forward slash give. That's all for now. Enjoy the service, and we're glad you're here.
0: We are so glad to be here with you this morning as we lift up the name of Jesus. Would you stand and worship with us again?
4: You, my story, and you would hear hope that wouldn't let go. And if I told you my story, you would hear love that never gave up. And if I told you my story, Would hear life, but it wasn't mine. If I should speak, then let it be of the grace that is greater than all my sin. Of when justice was served and where mercy wins, and of the kindness of.
0: we
5: Well, good morning, Hope Point. Um, my name is Dan. I am the, uh, the 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 slightly older, slightly balder, slightly nerdier Dan on staff. So, you did a great job, by the way, today, Dan. You recovered from the last time on welcome. Um, on a, on a serious note, I do. I want to set our hearts for this morning's message. So, I just want to read a few of the verses from my text this morning. It's First Peter two. 21 to 25, you can look at it in your Bibles or you can just prayerfully listen. Peter says this, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return, and when he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Let's pray. Father, uh, what great comfort it is, Lord, that because of Christ and his uh, substitutionary death on the cross that we can return to the shepherd and overseer of our souls. Uh, We don't deserve that, Father, uh, but in your grace and in your mercy, you sent Christ to take our place. And so, Lord, would you open our eyes to the beauty of this truth, Lord, open eyes and ears for the first time to hear the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ how he bore our sins in his body on that tree. Lord, for those of us that have come to you, let I see that uh, anew and afresh this morning, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness like you called us to do. Lord, may that message not only be echoed here in Spartanburg, but around the world um, now, Lord, as it already has in some countries. Um, Lord, would you, would your spirit move among the churches this morning? Uh, Father, I pray for the persecuted church this morning, that there are people in other countries who are, like Christ, suffering unjustly because of their belief in Christ. God, would you bring comfort through the promises of Scripture? Let them remember what you have said Lord, let them look to Christ. Let them entrust their souls to the one who judges justly. May you do that for our brothers and sisters around the world this morning. Father, I pray for us in this room. Lord, we come here with a lot, a lot of guilt, a lot of shame, a lot of brokenness. And Lord, we're just craving to to hear from you this morning. So would you let us see Christ more? This morning because of the word that's preached uh, father would you calm my heart you know how anxious my heart is right now father so I pray for supernatural peace and then it can come to you Lord I pray that you would take this loaf of bread this morning and feed 5,000 souls multiply it beyond uh, my capacity in Christ's name Amen well this is interesting they left me a pair of sunglasses and some music, I don't know what that means. Uh, we are in 1 uh, Peter. So most of you know that whenever I get the opportunity to, to preach, uh, I've been walking us through the book of First Peter. This morning we're about halfway through the book, um, about halfway through chapter 2. We're going to be in chapter 2 this morning. Uh, this is the, actually the seventh message in our series uh, in 1 Peter. And so if you're interested, you can actually go to the website, go to the messages page, and there's a drop-down there on series. You click on series and select 1 Peter. And if uh, you want to catch up with us, you can listen to the first six messages from this series there. So in the first half of this book, uh, Peter takes a, a long time telling us who we are in Christ. He tells us things like we are a royal priesthood. Uh, He tells us that we're a holy nation, that we're elect aliens, that we've been born again to a living hope, that we have an internal inheritance. So he spent a lot of time in the first half of the book telling us who we are in Christ. Now Peter gets to this sort of midpoint of the book, and he says, because of this new identity in Christ, this is how you should live, second half of the book. So, so Peter is not saying live a certain way and then you get this sort of royalty status. No, he says you have this royal status now. Live this way, and that's how the book of First Peter is set up. So, I've titled my sermon today, "To this you have been called," and I get that from verse twenty-one. Sorry, verse twenty-one of First Peter. For to this you have been called, because also suffered. Right? I, I opened up. Logo time with this. To this you have been called. This is the lifestyle we've been called to, namely suffering. And specifically in our text this morning, Peter's going to be talking about suffering that is a result of submission, of submitting. In verse 13, uh, Peter says this Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. This is the key thought that Peter is conveying over the next several sections in this letter. It's the the key thought that's sort of overarching my message this morning and the message next week. The Christian life is a life of submission and honor toward others. The Christian life is a life of submission and honor toward others. We are royalty, so get this, this is sort of the paradox of the Christian life, right? So we are royalty, yet we submit to others. We are heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, yet we submit to even pagans. (laughs) Didn't didn't see that one coming, right? Right? We have this royal status. But as God's royalty, we don't rule yet, we submit. And this is the message that Peter has over the next several sections. This is the paradox of the Christian life. So Peter addresses three relationships uh, over this part of chapter 2 and into chapter 3. And that first relationship that we're going to be discussing this morning is citizens and government, how citizens submit to the government, servant-master relationship, and then in the marriage relationship. This morning we're only going to be talking about these first two relationships Citizens and government and servant master. So, again, verse 13, and I apologize that my references aren't on the screen. I'm not sure what happened. Verse 13 of chapter 2, Peter says, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. It may be tempting to sort of view our uh, a newfound loyalty and freedom in Christ to rebel against pagan authorities right? This is not the case. We're not anarchists, right? We're not rebelling against government. We're not subversively trying to undermine our government. Peter is teaching against that, right? Look to Christ. Jesus did not come with a sword, but he came on a cross. Peter himself, the author of this letter, right, learned this firsthand. When uh, Jesus' captors came to take him to the cross, what did Peter do? He pulled out his sword and cut off the ear of one of the arresting soldiers. And what was Jesus' response to that? He said, put your sword back in your sheath. This is not how I'm doing this yet. And then when, Peter was, or, I'm sorry, when Jesus was before Pilate, uh, Jesus said this, if my kingdom were of this world, my servants would be fighting. That's what Jesus said to Pilate. If my kingdom was of this world, my servants would be fighting. Rebellion against authority structures with the sword is not the way of the believer. It's not the way of the cross. And that's what Peter is getting at here in this section. Our weapon is love, not rebellion. Responding to authority with submission brings God glory. And we're going to see that in just a second. It's an echo of the cross. That's what submission is. It's an echo of the cross. It points people to the way God saves Submission is an echo of the cross. So from the outset, Peter makes it clear that submitting to authorities is a spiritual matter. That's what he says in verse 13. Be subject. Why? For the Lord's sake. The motivation behind submitting to a president, to a monarch, to a dictator, to governors, police officers, any civil authority, is that it brings glory to God. This is part of the Christian work, right? As simple and as boring as that sounds, one aspect of the Christian witness is to be a good citizen. It brings glory to God to pay our taxes. It brings glory to God to obey the speed limit, right? What else did he say? He says, to every human institution. Indicating that this doctrine goes beyond civil authorities, right? It's honoring to God to submit to every authority structure in life. So that's child to parent, student to teacher, church member to elders, authority structures within business, um, within volunteer organizations, within education, by God's sovereign hand. So we have to take take the view that God is sovereign over every aspect of our life, including the authority structures in which we all sit. And so by his sovereign hand, he has put these authority structures in place around us for our benefit and for God's glory. Peter, now just, just one caveat, Peter does not address a situation where authorities command you to sin, right? If, if you know the book of Acts, Peter himself doesn't submit to authority when they told him to stop preaching the gospel. He says, I, I, I must obey God and not man. So Peter's not addressing that here He is mainly concerned with the tendency of believers to view their newfound freedom in Christ to rebel against earthly authorities. Revolt and political revolution was expected of uh, religious zealots of that time, and Peter is mainly concerned about combating that false doctrine. That is not the way of the believer, and that is not the way of the cross. Submission is. Now, in verse 15, Peter unpacks... What he means by submission is for the Lord's sake. How is submission to even a pagan authority, how is that for the Lord's sake? Well, he says it here, for this is the will of God. This is verse 15. That by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. So submitting now, so we have this verse now. It helps us understand submitting a little bit better. Submitting now we can see goes beyond sort of this silent acceptance or honoring of authority. It goes to doing good, right? It extends to doing good, and it is doing good in such a way that is seen by even foolish people as good, right? The world doesn't see everything the church does as good, but there are some things that we do that should be seen as good, right? Advocating for those who are suffering, Feeding the poor, things like this. This is the will of God, meaning God planned it this way. You are where you are, we are where we are, because God planned it this way that we would honor those in authority. And this honoring or submitting to our authority structures would be a witness to the world to the type of God we serve. Right? We are spiritual royalty, yet we submit to our authorities. And what does it do? It puts puts, uh, to silence the the ignorance of foolish people. It's a witness to the type of God we serve. So Peter summarizes his theology of citizenship in verses 16 and 17. This is verse 16. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. We're free, yes. We should live in a free way, but Peter says don't do this and cover up evil. Freedom is not freedom to do anything and everything we want. Freedom is what? Serving God. This is what we've been freed up to do. Serving God means submitting to the authority structures he has put in place over us. And then I love verse 17 here. These four things he, he tells us to do. Honor everyone. Everybody is made in the image of God, and that should be motivation enough to honor all people. Love the brotherhood. There's a special love for the saints, a special love that we have for our family. Fear God, not man. Stand in awe of the God that we serve. And then the whole thing that got this started was honor the emperor. There are some people put in positions, and just for the sake of their position, they deserve honoring the By us. This is Peter's theology of citizenship. Christ is our example. Christ is our example of proper submission. We see him do this. And now Peter goes into this master servant relationship as a springboard to open the beauty of cross centered submission. Let's look at verse 18. Verse 18. 1 Peter 2 says servants be subject to your master with all respect, not only to the good and the gentle, but also to the unjust. Before diving into the doctrine that, that's packed into these verses, I would, just, I would like to take a, a few minutes to clarify the context of this command. So if you're like me, you get to a verse like this in Scripture and, and you wish that Peter would just condemn slavery, right? But he just simply instructs the servant on how to respond to his master and so without much thought or much study one might get tripped up here thinking that the bible might condone slavery so that's why i want to pump the brakes right here for us sort of put a real little parenthesis around this and clarify for our 21st century minds what this first century author was writing and I think I can do this in, in three points. And these are my, my three points I want to hit in just a, just a quick second here. The servant-master relationship Peter speaks of here is different than the slavery we read about in American history. That's point number one. I'm going to talk in, individually here in just a second about each of these. Number two... Peter must address this relationship if he's going to talk about submission in first century Greco-Roman society. He's sort of obliged to do this and I want to talk about that in just a second as well. And then I want to end with the point that the Bible does not condone slavery but rather condemns it. Rather condemns it. So the servant master relationship Peter speaks of here is different than slavery than the slavery we read about in American history. Some translations like if you're reading the NIV I think they even translate this word as slaves, but some translations translate this word as slaves, and I believe, and many commentators believe this to be inaccurate, especially for us, given America's deplorable history with slavery, it's not fair to translate this first century word that negatively. Um, Obviously, there was unjust uh, masters at this time, but in general, first century slaves were were treated well and were often managers. Overseers, trained professionals like doctors, nurses, musicians, and teachers. So think of the parable in Luke 16 that Jesus tells of the manager who mishandled his master's money. So Luke 16. We don't view that manager as a slave, right? We we view him more of as an employee of the rich man. And in the story, the, 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 the manager mishandles money, and the master does not beat the manager, he simply fires him from his management position. This is the type of servant-master relationship that Peter is speaking to here. Furthermore, servants of that day were normally paid and could be expected to eventually purchase their own freedom. Nevertheless, I'm not gonna sugarcoat this relationship right? Some of these people were there because of kidnapping, because of war, because of being born into it. Their legal status, social standing, and opportunity for independence was much, much lower than that of regular Roman society. So Wayne Grudem, I appreciate what he says about this word. He says, "...a word stronger than servant but weaker than slave is needed." Although servant comes the closest, no English word is adequate, perhaps because no comparable institution exists in modern Western society." So so maybe somewhere between employee and servant is where Peter is sort of aiming at here. And I really do appreciate the ESV. If you read uh, sort of their introduction to their study Bible, they say that they're very careful on how they translate this, this Greek word, and they only translate it as slave when it means total ownership like like what sin has over us as unbelievers, that we're slaves to sin. The only time it's, it's translated in a positive light in Scripture is when it's talking about us being slaves to God, okay? So it's the, the horrible degradation of slaves in 19th century America give the word slave a far worse connotation than is accurate for this first century audience. Number two, Peter must address this relationship if he's going to talk about submission in first century Greco-Roman society. It's estimated that almost 25%, a quarter of the population, would have fallen into this category in first century Rome. This was a significant portion of society and one institution that Peter would need to address when speaking about submission. This servant-master relationship was one of three relationships that were part of the household relationships, the other two being marriage and parent-child. And all of the Greek philosophers, moral philosophers addressed this servant-master relationship, so it would be odd for Peter to talk about submission in that day and not speak to the servant-master relationship. The beautiful thing about it is that Christ transforms all relationships and Peter is going to transform this relationship as well and he is obliged to talk about it. And then finally, the Bible does not condone slavery, but rather condemns it. Consider this verse, Exodus 21:16. If you want to write this down, I'm sorry it's not on the screen. Exodus 21:16: Whoever steals a man and sells him, and anyone found in possession of him, shall be put to death. Pretty strong statement against slavery, right? The Bible does not condone slavery; it condemns it. And what about New Testament? So Paul, when he's writing the first Timothy, to Timothy says has this long list. Of sins that the law exposes and that are contrary to sound doctrine, and look what's in there, and slavers, and slavers. This sin is exposed by the law of God, and it is contrary to sound doctrine. The Bible does not condone slavery; it condemns it. And then finally, this is First Corinthians seven twenty-one, where Paul is talking to the bond servant in here, and he says, "But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of that opportunity." You, if you can get out of that relationship servant get out of that relationship free yourself and lastly this is my favorite this is we just got done with this first first peter 2:17 where he had those four things listed and one of them was honor everyone this is the overwhelming new testament ethic that we honor all people The New Testament teaches against slavery and every other form of human degradation when it tells us to honor everyone because they were made in the image of God. We are to honor all people. Therefore, it's not okay to own people, and the Bible is clear about this. Unfortunately, the church is not innocent here. As many Christians, even pastors from that era, were complicit in this despicable act. It just goes to show us, it's just a reminder to us, how blinding our sin can be. And then we need to beg God daily to show us our sins, show us our blind spots for His glory and our joy. So let me close that parenthesis now. Let's look closely and focus on the spiritual principle that Peter is getting at here in verse 18 he says servants be subject to your masters with all respect not only to the good and gentle but also to the unjust so he's pointing to the household servant here right and sort of holding him up as the most vulnerable in society for a model for believers this is this is how we how we are this is who we are when you follow christ you make yourself vulnerable in first century society and many countries today, when you choose to follow Christ, you are faced with the loss of social status and power, much like these servants were that Peter's talking to here. So it's fitting that he uses them as a role model for the believer. The spiritual principle here is to do good to everyone, even those who are not doing good to you. So, so Peter's sort of tacitly admitting That it's easy to respect those that are doing good to you and that are gentle to you. That's easy. But the the radical life of the believer even shows respect to the person that is not respecting you. This is the radical life of the believer. When someone insults you, when someone threatens you, we don't do it back. It's natural to seek revenge. It's natural to turn to hatred when, someone, when you do right and then you suffer unjustly for it. However, when mindful of God, we patiently adore, Peter says that this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Meaning that there is reward for you in heaven for this type of patient endurance. When, when it's justified that you should retaliate to that person. But Peter says no. And it's a gracious thing when you do this mindful of God. This is mindful of God endurance. This is verse 20. For what credit is it? When you sin and are beaten for it, you endure. But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. How is this a gracious thing? Verse 19, for this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrow while suffering unjustly. So this is not the type of suffering that is like grit your teeth, you know, willpower through this suffering. This is a narrow type of endurance and this is what I call and what the scripture calls mindful of God endurance. Meaning you're trusting God to make things right. Like, you, you deserve probably to retaliate. You know, your sense of justice wells up in you and you want to make things right. But Peter says, mindful of God endurance is trusting that God is going to make things right. That one day, all things are going to be made, made, right, made right by God. Suffering while mindful of God means that there's a steadfast awareness of God's presence in that situation, and His loving care for you in that situation. It's a recognition of God's sovereignty over your unjust suffering and that one day justice will be played out by God. This is the type of righteous suffering we are commanded to hear. And this is exactly what Christ did. This is exactly how Christ patiently endured. And this is the direction that Peter wants to turn us to. And what I couldn't wait to get to this morning is to see what Christ did, how he handled unjust suffering. Peter says in verse 21, for to this you have been called. It's what I titled my sermon. What is the this? It's the this from verses 19 and 20, the unjust suffering, doing righteousness, doing good and yet still suffering for it. Now, Peter gives us a reason why we are called to suffer unjustly. Check this out. This is still verse 21. For to this you have been called. Why have we been called to unjust suffering? It's right here. Because Christ also suffered. You want to know why you're suffering unjustly today? Is because your captain suffered unjustly. Your shepherd suffered unjustly. And that's why we suffer unjustly. We're called to it. And we see here that Christ's suffering had a twofold purpose in this verse twofold purpose of Christ's suffering. This is going to inform us about the gospel. Purpose number one why Christ suffered unjustly. Purpose number one, for you. He suffered unjustly for you. The for you here doesn't simply mean that it benefited you, although that is true. The for you here means that it was in your place. This is a substitution. Christ was your substitute. He suffered the ultimate unjust suffering for you in place of you. As a substitution for you, the suffering that we deserved, Christ stood in that place. He chose to take on our suffering. Peter's going to unpack that in just a couple verses. But the second purpose of Christ's suffering, the text says, is that he was leaving for us an example. So purpose number one, why he suffered unjustly was to be our substitute purpose number two why he suffered unjustly was to be an example for us all right so now i love what peter does here he takes those two purposes and unpacks them in the next four verses purpose number one our substitute he unpacks that in verse 24 and 25 and purpose number two he's our example he's going to unpack that in verses 22 and 23. so let's take them in order how is christ our example Verse 22, he committed no sin. This is how Christ is our example in unjust suffering. The source of his suffering was not sin. Remember, it came about because he was righteous. He He was chasing after righteousness and chasing after the work that God had on his life so hard that it resulted in suffering. And this is our example, that Remember earlier in the passage, Peter said, what good is it if you, if you sin and suffer for it? But it's a gracious thing if you do good and suffer for it. This is the example, that Christ committed no sin. So the source of his suffering was not sin. Neither did he revile when he, when he was suffered. I'm sorry, he did not deceit with his mouth. He did not revile in return, and he did not threatened. So sin was not the source of his suffering, and then when he did suffer, it did not result in sinning. You see that? All through, both bookends of suffering, he is not sinning. It wasn't the source of his suffering, and and his suffering didn't result in him sinning. This is how Christ is our example. Being punished unjustly did not cause him to sin. See, our tendency when we are unjustly punished or reviled against is to revile and return and make threats, right? Someone calls us a name, we want to call a name back. You know, someone threatens us, we want to threaten them back. Jesus did not do this. What did Jesus do when he suffered? Peter already told us, but he's going to tell us again, and I'll call it here. He was mindful of God. He was silent in his suffering, but he was not passive in his suffering. He was actively trusting God. That's what the text says that Jesus did. He didn't do all these things, but what he did was he continued in trusting himself to the one who judges justly. This is suffering mindful of God. He was trusting God would take care of this. The text says that he continually trusted himself to the one who judges justly. Justly, This is the example that we have in our unjust suffering, in faith, committing the situation to God and saying, God, I'm leaving justice in your hands, and I'm going to follow the example of my Savior and silently suffer. The example that Jesus left us was one of continued trust in God as the one who would ultimately administers justice. So isn't that comforting? Like, injustices do not go unnoticed by God. That's what what we're trusting God with. The one who does just, judge justly. The judge of all the earth is a just God, and he sees every single injustice, and he will one day make it right, and that's what we're trusting in. So in the next two verses, and we'll end with these two verses. Peter goes back to the idea that Jesus suffered unjustly as our substitute. This is verse 24. It says, He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. This is substitution. How is Jesus our substitute? The text says that he bore our sin, how? In his body and on the tree. Remember, Jesus committed no sin. And so what does he do? He takes on our sins. And he bears the guilty weight of our sins in his body and on the tree. This is how substitution works in the great divine act of salvation. The the phrases, in his body, on the tree, indicate how he bore our sins. He bore your sins by crucifixion. He bore your sins by absorbing the wrath of God in his body. He bore your sins by becoming a curse on the tree. He bore your sins by carrying the guilt of your sins in his body to the cross on the tree. Sinless sin. Jesus, committed no sin, but became a curse because of my sin, because of your sin. This is how Jesus' unjust suffering is for us. All the guilt and shame of your sin, multiply that by the world. And he takes that weight to the cross. And takes that punishment for you. He did this for us. So that we would not have to bear God's wrath. Jesus did this for you. All our sins for Christ. I hope that's not me. Christ carried the sins to the cross. And check this out. Why? That you might die to sin and live to righteousness. Christ died so that you would not have to, so that we could live. Death comes before life. Jesus did the dying so that we could do the living. This is the beauty of the gospel. This is the beauty of the Uh, Christ's unjust suffering on our behalf, that he did the dying so that we could do the living. The end of verse 24, by his wounds, still explaining how substitution works for us that believe. By his wounds, you have been healed. Because, Because of Christ's sin bearing on our behalf, our wounds have been healed. Christ's wounds heal our wounds. This is how the gospel works. Like we have this wound from birth and then Christ in his grace and his mercy goes to the cross and is wounded himself so that our wound is then healed. It's a miracle that someone else could stand in my place take a wound in my place, and this gaping wound that I have is now healed. So what does Peter mean that that we've been healed? The next verse tells us, what does he mean that we've been healed from this wound? This this has to be one of the most beautiful verses in the Bible, verse 25 of chapter 2, for you are straying like sheep. But have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. This is how we are healed. Remember, by his wounds, we are healed. This is how we're healed, folks. The wound that we've been healed from is that of straying like sheep. Sin's wound is that we are separated from God, that we're straying from the shepherd and overseer of our souls. And Christ's substitution on the cross on our behalf is what heals us from this straying. So straying equals wound. In our natural state, we have strayed from our shepherd. The wound that we've been born and cursed with is that of straying straying from the shepherd and overseer of our souls. It's a scary thing to be away from the protector of your soul. And this is what the cross did for us, is that it healed this wound. It's a wound we couldn't heal on our own. And so God does what only God can do, and he sends a perfect substitute in our place so that this gaping soul wound could be healed. But now the text says, all right, so, so wound equals string." And the text says, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. This is the healing. By his wounds you have been healed. This is the healing. The healing that Jesus' wounds secured for us was that we can and have returned to the shepherd. Healing equals returning. This is why Jesus suffered unjustly, so that we can return to the shepherd and overseer of our souls, so that we can have the protection our souls so desperately need. This is the healing. Because of Christ's work on the cross, prodigals can return. The healing work of Christ brings us back to the shepherd. Has your wound been healed? I'm talking about your soul wound of straying from the shepherd. Have you returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul? Because of what Christ has done on the cross, you can return. It is possible to return. It is possible to be healed. And you can be healed today. Maybe this message is God calling you, prodigal, to return. Christ made it possible. (laughs) Returning is repenting and entrusting your soul to the one who judges justly. Will you return today? Return to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. Let me pray. Uh, Father, what a beautiful message you have for us this morning, Uh, Lord, that Christ suffered for us, leaving us an example so that we could follow in his footsteps. Lord, um, he bore our sins on the tree so that we can return. Lord, I pray for all of us in here, God, there's so much... Um, struggle, so much pain, so much hurt, Lord, let us see Christ this morning. Lord, I pray for that one that has been straying from you, that he or she would return to the shepherd and overseer of their souls, Lord. What a dangerous position to be in. Let them see that clearly this morning, that Christ took all of their guilt, all of their shame and bore... The righteous wrath of God in his body on the cross, so that sheep can return to the shepherd. Lord, it it blows my mind that you would allow us to do this, that you would allow me to return, Father. Uh, but, But Christ's love is so compelling. Lord, would you draw someone in this morning? someone that's been far from you, someone that's been straying, someone that's been bleeding from this soul wound that we've been born with, Lord. Would they see the beauty of substitution of Christ on the cross on their behalf and come, come to the Savior and overseer of their souls. In Christ's name, amen. If you are here and you are saying, I'm straying and I want to return to the shepherd and overseer of my soul. Don't hesitate to come down and talk to, to me or someone else on staff that's down here either during the songs after the service through an email or a call this week. We do not want um, to leave you there. We want to help you. Band, it's all you.
0: Would you stand with us again? can't go back to the beginning I can't control what tomorrow will bring But I know here in the middle Is the place where you promised to No I'm not in love
1: Unless you come Will you meet me here?